we're moving into um, chapter eight this morning. We're starting it. We're, we're going through verses one through four, and this is a new section of of teaching in Matthew's gospel. So before we get started, I just wanted to make a few comments, point a few things out about the organization that Matthew took to put his gospel together. Uh, you ought to know that it's less chronological and it's more topical. It's more topical. There's five distinct blocks or discourses of teaching that you'll see within the book. And there's a couple of, uh, a couple of identifiable features about those blocks. And one, number one is uh, you'll see at the end of each discourse these words. It'll say, and we, uh, when Jesus had finished. So, and when Jesus had finished these sayings or when Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, you know you've come to the end of one of the blocks of teaching and you're starting a fresh one. So hopefully that can help you uh, as you organize and read and study Matthew. The other thing, uh, a little more specific to each one of these blocks of teaching is that there's a narrative associated with the front end of the, of the uh, discourse or of the teaching of the block. And then there's a, uh, excuse me, a, 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 a teaching or a discourse on the back end. And the, the narrative is typically associated with uh, it's dealing with the identity of Jesus, right? The identity of the king and the backside of that narrative uh, deals with the king's people. So uh, we come again to chapter 8, verse 1. And just a couple characteristics here very quickly on this new block of teaching that we're entering. Chapters 8 and chapters 9, or chapter 9, they have, uh, there's a series of miraculous teachings associated with these two chapters it's a condensed section in Matthew's gospel that contains all of the healings, the miraculous healings that are essential to the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus places them here to follow the sermon uh, that he just finished in chapter 7, or we just went through in chapter 7 as a proof to who he is. And then in chapter 10, we'll move into a discourse of discipleship and of mission. So uh, I'm not sure if you really needed that, but I wanted to give it to you anyway. Hopefully, it'll help you when you read and study Matthew. And so, here we are at the beginning of chapter 8, and I mentioned that, uh, of course, Matthew's arrangement is, is more topical than it is chronological, and I think that it's no accident that he leads with this passage. So, I'm going to ask you to stand, please, with me, the reading of God's Word. Begin in verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we gather again today to worship you, to uh, hear the preaching of your word. Uh, may your word be written upon our hearts today for your glory and for our good. And this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the miracles, have a seat please, I'm sorry. This, uh, this, these miracles that I mentioned, they're vital to the understanding of the identity of Jesus as God. The miracles that are recorded here are supernatural miracles. He does, Jesus does what no man can do, 
and they're recorded here as proofs of his supernatural and divine nature. And the first of this miracles recorded is a significant one, and I hope to show you that it points directly to, to salvation in Christ alone. And what we have here is uh, this narrative. It's a narrative. It's, uh, it's not a parable. It's a real man. It's a real disease. And it's a real Lord that we see as characters in this passage. Uh, leprosy, not, leprosy, though, is not something that we uh, see all the time. It's not something that's right in front of us. Uh, we have other diseases, incidentally, that we're being told to fear. So that doesn't really have anything to do with today's passage. But uh, we, don't, we, we just don't hear much about leprosy. Uh, so we tend to imagine about what it might be based on other things that we've heard or read over time. So what is leprosy? Well, in terms of incidence, E-N-C-E and incidence, uh, the new cases per year, in the United States, we get roughly about 200 cases per year, give or take. Uh, these are reported cases, incidentally. And uh, worldwide, there's over several hundred thousand cases that are reported each year, all the way back to late 1990s and 1999. There was over 500,000 new cases reported throughout the world. And then uh, progressively lower numbers reported as time has gone by. I don't know if that's a real trajectory. I'm not even sure if I can rely on these numbers I got because it depends on who you look at. You'll get varying numbers, but it's important just to understand that there is, still is this disease in the world and likely uh, significant numbers are unreported. We know too nowadays that uh, leprosy is treatable due to recent advancements in medicine, Leprosy, or uh, Hansen's disease as we know it today, uh, is, is terrible. It's treatable, but it's terrible. And it's tr it, through the benefits of modern medicine, it's not as, an, as much of an issue as it used to be in ancient times. And speaking of ancient times, uh, there's lots of writings, lots, I don't know about lots, but there's quite a few uh, articles that I found in my research that uh, indicated there's writings from Egypt from East Africa, from India, from China, all indicating the existence of some heinous skin disease that we're experiencing in these, in these areas. And they date back to almost 1500 BC. So in ancient times and through ancient times from those times and up to not very long ago, maybe a couple hundred years, uh, in its most severe form, it was a greatly feared disease and it was an untreatable disease. So leprosy. Leprosy as we know it today as Hansen's disease. If you were a person who were to contract that bacteria and it was left untreatable, you would experience these symptoms. There would be changes on your face that it can include uh, a thickening of your skin and of the outer portion of your ear and actually a collapse of your nose. Uh, the internal uh, portion of your nose would get uh, eaten away by the bacteria, and, and your nose would collapse. Uh, there would be disfigurement of your skin and of your bones, a twisting of your limbs, curling of your fingers. This is a characteristic of leprosy where the fingers curl back and the hand curls back. There would be sores on your skin, tumor-like growths on your skin and in your respiratory tract, uh, deterioration of your optic nerve, and if that's not enough, it's just, there's just a wasting away tissue, body tissue. In the mid-1900s, a man by the name of Dr. Paul Brand, and I'm reading from an article that I found on him, 
He observed patience in everyday life, and he was struck by the fact that they kept walking on feet, bearing horrible wounds, and even stuck their hands in live coals without a flinch of pain. He decided to, or excuse me, he noticed too that wood splinters, tight-fitting shoes, minor burns from hot stoves, and even rat bites that they, that they uh, got while sleeping were experiences that passed right by these people unnoticed. So what he found was that this wasting away of tissue that was noted in Hansen's disease was actually secondary to nerve damage. And this, this nerve damage resulted in, in a numbness. They couldn't feel pain. They were numb. This, this disease uh, had an anesthetic effect to it. They were numb. What this would mean to you if you, had, if you were a person with this disease now and it was left untreated, you might step off a curb, for example, tear up the connective tissue in your ankle. But because you can't feel the pain, you just adjust to a floppier foot and you keep moving. And this numbness would lead to more and more deformities in your body as you, as you progressed in life. Be heinous disease. The Bible record has quite a bit to say about leprosy as well, and I'm not going to go through an exhaustive uh, study here, but the word leprosy in the Hebrew covers a variety of skin diseases, and it refers to uncleanness. In fact, the, the, Greek, the Greek word itself is a, is a lepra. It's lepra, and it's from the word lepis or leprous, meaning scales like that of a fish, a scaly substance that's thrown off of the body. And the usage of the word is generally for just diseases of the skin, not necessarily one, any one in particular. We also know that there are times when God struck people with the disease. Uh, he used leprosy to reveal his power and to judge and to heal, and he used it also to punish sin. Uh, maybe some of you remember Moses, his leprous hand, when he put it in his cloak and pulled it out. Miriam, his sister, King Uzziah, these things he used to reveal his power and to, and to judge. Another thing to note from the biblical record is that uh, leprosy was a threat to society. Uh, in the 13th chapter of Leviticus, which we're not going to go through today, but we find a very long and detailed, a very careful and very meticulous diagnostic procedure that the priests used to carry out to determine whether or not a person was leprous. And the reason for that is because they wanted to obviously ensure that a person who was not leprous did not get put out of the colony or put out of the camp. And we'll get to that in a second. But by this law, God protected his people. One thing we pick up here in verse 45 and 46, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, and he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Elsewhere, we read in Numbers, it says, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous. So there's a few things that I want uh, to be made clear here about leprosy, uh, leprosy as we go forward. The first one is being removed from the camp had several implications. Number one, there was near total isolation for this person. He was very literally removed from all of society, and this made it impossible or next to impossible to work or to have a family 
or just to be a part of normal society. He was all alone. He could only be with others who were like him. Number two, there was a separation from the worshiping uh, community. He was not allowed to join them in going to the temple or going to the feasts or participate in any of the normal worship of God in those days. And number three, there was a permanence. The diagnosis of a skin disease that resulted in the removal from the camp indicated that the disease was chronic and untreatable. That was its nature. The other thing is that there was a variety of skin diseases I mentioned back a minute ago uh, as defined by the word. That there were, uh, uh, well, let me just say this, the worst of which was, was probably Hansen's disease. We don't know that for certain, but it probably was which, as we've talked about, involves skin lesions, disfigurement, the clawed hands, and a slow attack on the nervous system, which leads to numbness and even further disability and ultimately death. Matthew doesn't give specifics here in our passage, but there's a range of skin diseases that go from chronic misery to death. So chronic misery to death if you're a leper and you've been diagnosed and cast out of the camp. I mentioned this diagnostic process in Leviticus a little bit earlier, but in chapter 14, when someone was found to be cured of the disease, we find that a detailed and uh, very lengthy process that the priest had to exercise for a person to get back into society. This process included a time period of observation, but it also includes sacrifices and purifications. There were two birds. One of them was killed, and the blood from that bird was sprinkled about different places. Uh, There was blood put on the the person's finger. Uh, The other bird was released. There were other sacrifices that were to be offered. You're familiar with, I think, you're familiar with some of the the burnt offerings, the guilt offerings, sin offerings that are talked about in Leviticus. Uh, It's not the most exciting book to read through, but I would encourage you to read through it because it's loaded with It's loaded with truth. You need to read that book. Um, Where was I? Here's where I was. Leprosy was tied directly to the ceremonial system and the sacrifices as a picture of sin. Okay? It's a picture of sin. Leprosy in the Old Testament points to something far bigger and far more deadly than itself. So what we have here is this man. We We have a leper. Uh, He's stricken with leprosy, isolated with sores on his body, no job, no family, no worship, no hope. And I wonder if you might be able to put yourself in his spot for a minute. We're blessed with many luxuries in this country, and it's hard for us to stick our shoes in or stick our feet in the shoes of somebody else, especially a, a terrible, disfigured situation like this one. But again, this is not a parable. This is a real man with a real disease. So let's look at the passage a little bit and see what it's saying about the the man. Verse 2, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This man had to have heard that there was a healer moving around in Galilee. That was the setting of this portion of his ministry. It was in Galilee, which is the upper right-hand side, or excuse me, the upper, that would be the northwest corner portion of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And he caught wind of this healer somehow. 
maybe he thought when he heard of him that this healer was a man of God, or maybe he was the promised Messiah, because after all, he was a former, he is a former member of the worshiping committee, so he knows his Bible. He knows of the promised Messiah. What it says, though, in Matthew is it says, he came to him. He came to Jesus. This indicates that he was looking for him. For the leper, this, uh, this, to come into a situation like this, to come into the, a, a situation where there's clean people while being unclean, this was a, a very serious wrongdoing in Israel. But he was desperate. Full of leprosy and suffering a great deal. He's likely to be uh, in isolation for a long period of time, and he's lost all hope. He's not concerned with consequences. In fact, the worst of the consequences would be that he'd be stoned to death. Maybe he figures that even that would be better than living like this. Man's desperate. So he comes, and he comes and kneels. And this word knelt uh, could mean actual worship, or the showing of obeisance or you know, honor and respect that is due to a great man. Uh, Luke says, actually, that he fell on his face. This man, this leper, knew that he was disfigured. He knew that he's, he was unclean, but he knelt before Jesus, acknowledging him as king or as a king or even as God. So as well as being desperate, he's reverent. So he comes and he kneels and he says to Jesus, and Luke records that he implored him, he begged him. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The leper knows his condition. He knows that he can do nothing about it. The priest can do nothing about it. No one on earth can do anything about it. Nobody can make him clean. He knows, that he, he, he knows Jesus is not required to cleanse him. And he doesn't come demanding it either. He knows that Jesus is capable. No question of his ability, only his will. And so this is how he comes to Jesus. Disfigured, shunned, poor, alone. He's come to the end of himself and there's nowhere else for him to go. He's nowhere else to turn. He comes desperate, he comes reverent, and he comes humble. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Luke, again, says his leprosy left him. So just like that, his world became completely reoriented in a minute, in a moment. He is clean. The leprosy is gone. This miserable person is set free from the grip of a disease that disfigured and isolated him. He knows, too, that very soon he will be able to reenter society. The Lord meets him in this living death of leprosy and brings new life to the man, the salvation. What about the touch, though? What about the touch? It says in Leviticus 5, it says, uh, God's law clearly says that anyone who touches anyone or anything that is unclean, he himself becomes unclean and incurs guilt. So therefore, did Jesus become unclean? Is that possible? Let me say this, if, if that were the case, uh, Jesus would have immediately been disqualified as the Savior. Sin, uncleanness is not something of the spotless lamb. So no, when Jesus touches the unclean, he does not become unclean. The unclean become clean. 
When Jesus touched the man, he wasn't a leper anymore. He touched the cleansed man. The touch of Jesus, though, is one of compassion, connecting with him and making clear whose hand was actually on him. So after Jesus cleanses the man, he tells him to say nothing to anyone. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. I don't know about you, but my, my conversion, I, I couldn't help, I mean, I couldn't help but run my mouth. I couldn't contain myself in, in talking about what Jesus had done for me. This man was instantly cleansed from this horrific disease, and Jesus told him not to say a word about it until he got to the priests. Matthew doesn't tell us exactly why, but it was likely, though, that the crowds would ever increase, all of them looking for various sorts of miracles coming from this healer. Jesus didn't come exclusively, though, to perform miraculous healings. He came to preach the kingdom of God, and he didn't want anyone to miss that message. He didn't want anyone to miss the point of his coming. So Jesus directs him to go to the priests, to obey the Levitical law, and to give testimony to the priests as to exactly who it was that did this cleaning. He wanted the priests to know first. So as I mentioned earlier, there are things in the Bible that function as types or signs that point to something. Leprosy in the Bible points to sin. And sin is like leprosy. It's untreatable. It's fatal. You can't deal with it yourself. You can't wash yourself. Sin is isolating and it can destroy relationships. It will cause a hardness of heart. The more you sin, the less you care about it. And the easier it becomes. Now I can't see the hearts of people as God does. It's not for me. It's not for any creature to see hearts as God sees them. God knows the thoughts of our hearts, all of our hearts, instantly. Right now, he knows the thoughts of our hearts. Maybe you're one who might think that yourself, think yourself a Christian. You might think that because you grew up in a Christian home, or because you go to church, or maybe because you're politically conservative, that you were born in the United States. There was a person that actually said that to me once. Person said, I was born in the United States, so I'm a Christian. Broke my heart. You may be a person of good philanthropic works, or you just consider yourself a good person. The list goes on. I would say to you, you're fooling yourself. Maybe you're one who doesn't even know uh, Jesus at all. Maybe you're not a Christian. Well, I don't know who the Lord will say, but the Bible is clear that, he, that not all will be saved. But I'll ask this question uh, Can you see yourself as a type of this leper? except with a much bigger issue than a skin disease? Can you see wretched? Can you see incurable, isolated, numb? So bring that to Jesus. Bring it with desperation. Bring it with reverence. Bring it with humility and trust, knowing that he can, but pleading with him that he will make you clean. And I can tell you this, that if he will, he will do so instantly. Immediately, you're set free from the guilt of sin to live the rest of your days and all of eternity at peace with God and Jesus Christ. Salvation. Amen. We're going to come to the table. This table is for uh, Christians. This table is for those who are 
regenerate believers, come to the table ready to confess your sins, to do as the Lord had commanded. As you take of this bread and of this wine, remember me, he said. Pray. Father in heaven, we know that as sinners we have no rights. We have needs. We have profound needs, but we have no rights. We can demand nothing of you. All we can do is come desperate, reverent, falling on our faces, crying out to you that you're the only one who can cleanse me. When we come like that, your compassion, your gracious power goes immediately into action and we're created new. Thank you, Lord, for doing that in so many of the lives of the people in this room. So many of us say thank you, and we praise you continually. We pray for those who that healing has not yet happened, because they have not come poor in spirit, meek, broken, desperate. Father, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, produce conviction, bring faith that will drive the sinner to Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen.